Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. I got a six-year-old in my calculus class in college, and it's going to take my job. What is this nonsense? Comic Sans? Butler had never seen this film, and I got the indication that he hated it. She's like, you pussy, get back in the game. He rebels against maturity by taking a job at a movie theater. Oh, no, I'm sorry, that's me. At a video store. Well, this is now owned by Disney, so you're going to see a remake <laughs> at some point. Hi, I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences. Whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the movie simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie, or perhaps don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you enjoy our podcast, we want to hear from you. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Find us. Our podcast is available on all platforms, with a backlog of 175 episodes for your listening pleasure. And so it begins another episode. Woohoo! Okay. <laughs> How are you doing this week? I'm doing great. I just got transferred down to uh, the Panama Canal, though. Uh, turns out I was doing a little too much uh, sexing, a little too much gambling. Uh, <laughs> too much so, you know, so I got sent down to Panama. That's usually, usually what happens. That's right. You go with, you know, we, we're, we are doing the 2001 film, The Tailor of Panama. Uh, I don't know if a lot of people remember this film, but um, why don't you give us a synopsis and then we'll get into the facts and then we'll get into it. Woo, that sounds like our <laughs> podcast. <laughs> it does. Harry Pendle, a Cockney ex-con who has reinvented himself as a popular tailor to the rich and powerful of Panama, is famous for his storytelling as well as his suits. But this time, his tales carry lethal repercussions. Preyed upon by a ruthless, seductive British spy, Osnard, Harry spins a yarn that inadvertently sets off a series of events to destroy everything he values most in life. Well, that summary is the end of the movie. Yes. That summary is generic. <laughs> <laughs> the Tailor of Panama has a runtime of 109 minutes. It's rated R. Production budget of $21 million. Came out on March 30th, 2001. And it's opening week, and it did 1.8 million. Domestic 13.7, international 14.2 for a total worldwide of 28 million dollars. So barely made its production budget back, probably did not make it the full budget back in terms of when they went in marketing, uh, marketing and whatnot. Yep. So oh well, maybe it did well on DVD, which I don't think I got those numbers. So production company was Columbia <laughs> Pictures and Merlin Films and it was distributed by Sony Pictures Releasing. So March 30th, 2001 it went up against in a wide release Spy Kids the Rod Rodriguez first, uh, he did three of those, right? Four of those he did four of those. Four of those and I think there's a new, like a there's a series a, coming out, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, it's a series, a reboot series. I was good with the one. That was about it. The uh, first Spy Kids is all right. Yeah, exactly. He also had Tomcats and Someone Like You and a limited release of Moros Peros or Moris Peros, excuse me. Uh, April 6th, the week after, you had just wide releases. You had Pokemon 3, the movie, Spell of, what is this, Unon? Unon? What is that? Uh, You're the Pokemon guy. That's something after the first 150 I'm, or 151, I'm out. Okay. I like classic also, I, red and blue Pokemon. After that, I, I get confused. I don't even know what classic red and blue Pokemon is, man. Also had Long Came a Spider, Blow, and Just Visiting. And then the week before, the 23rd of March, you had Heartbreakers, Say It Isn't So, and The Brothers, which was all three wide releases as well. This film is directed by John Borman, who was nominated for five Oscars, but for two films, Hope and Glory, which he was nominated for Best Picture, Director and Writer. He produced that, obviously. And Deliverance, which was nominated for Best Picture and Best Director. He was also director of Queen and Country and Beyond Rangoon. He was also he also co-wrote this film with Andrew Davies. Davies did the TV show primarily House of Cards. He also did the movie Circle of Friends, Bridget Jones Diary. Borman has written The Professor and the Mad Men, which is more recent, which is 2019, I believe. And he also wrote Where the Heart Is. I believe he directed Where the Heart Is as well. Cinematographer was Philippe Rousselet. Apologies. Uh, he is nominated. <laughs> actually, he won an Oscar for A River Runs Through It and was nominated for two other Oscars, one for Henry and June and the other for Hope and Glory. 
Uh, composer was Sean Davey, who did the 1996 Twelfth Night and Waking Ned Divine. Edited by Ron Davis, who has edited The General, In My Country, and The Tiger's Tale. And then produced by John Borman. And my note is, see the other credits, which I've already listed. <laughs> nice. <laughs> this film has Pierce Brosnan in it, 007 Butler, as Osnard. In, uh, in the middle of his James Bond tenure. Yes, this is one of the first bonds who did movies in be- in between right is that what i read that no like it was very rare for people to do like spy films or films in between the bonds i, I don't remember what that definitely rare was, for you to do like the same type of film in between yeah right so he's obviously james bond he was james bond he was also in the tv show remington steel in the tv show the sun which is more recent and he's in the upcoming film black adam so i know we're all very excited for that uh, uh, this Rush. film will not be up will not be upcoming when this comes out it's out or when does it come out comes out in october damn this comes out this I episode the will be in november ever since i left the theater i don't even know when release dates are anymore but we also we also record in the future or in the yeah. past interesting Interesting. <laughs> Jeffrey Rush plays Harry. He is nominated for he's nominated for four Oscars, brother, and he won one. Can you name the four movies he was nominated for? Uh, I can't remember the name. The one where he's the Marquis de Sade. Quills. Quills. Yes. Correct. Nominated. Uh, King Speech. Yes. Which I think he won for. No, he didn't win for. Oh, he's awesome in King Speech. He is. Uh, not pirates, right? No. <laughs> I have no idea what the other two would be. He was nominated for Shakespeare in Love. Oh, and he was right. nominated and won for Shine. Do you remember Shine? Okay. Nope. Really? That's no, it, that was one of the first. I think that's what the that was, I believe that was the movie that really kind of like this is Jeffrey Rush, because he played like a eccentric I oh, god i really remember he, he knew piano you remember you remember ever seeing him on the piano and that's shine yeah yes okay yeah. You sh- shine's a good film but those are all good films that we talked about but definitely the king's speech i agree with you there it's tough to see him as not barbosa though even though i love <laughs> king's speech it's tough to not see him as barbosa well he is an actor he does lose himself in roles that's the whole point yeah i know i mean he learned how to be a tailor for this film <laughs> uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is in this movie as Louisa which I actually forgot she was in this film uh, she's obviously in the Halloween I, I say series now because she's been in like four films five films right Resurrection H2O, the original H2O, uh, Halloween the f- 2 first one right so that's three and then that's the three ones that we got now so six six or seven yeah yeah well, was she in, in Resurrection or just that H2O the one with Buster Rhymes yeah don't believe maybe the beginning yes because she's killed in the beginning yes. right okay yep yeah so seven Jesus. seven halloween movies all right that, she's also getting in the halloween money <laughs> what's that getting the halloween money puts it right next exactly. to her yogurt money oh she's a producer now uh, she's also in the tv show scream queens amongst other things she's in a bunch of stuff uh leonor uh, varela as marta she's from blade 2 alpha and innocent voices brendan gleason as mickey abraxas uh, he's in Braveheart, Lake Placid, Gangs of New York, and a movie that we did in Bruges, mm-hmm. which we did with uh, Laura Johns from Why the Book Wins podcast. Go check that out. Uh, Harold Pinter as Uncle Benny. He is, I don't know if you don't know who Harold Pinter is, go look him up. He's a pretty famous writer of many plays and many screenplays. Um, so that is what he's known for. Not uh, He's good in this. That's not, not a dig on acting, but he is more known for that, for being a writer. Very good writer. Quite. Uh, Catherine McCormick as Francesca or Francesca Francesca. <laughs> uh, she's in Braveheart, Spy Game, and 28 Weeks Later. Spy Game's another movie we did, Butler. And I didn't even mm-hmm. realize that she was in Spy Game. I was like, oh, because I was like, she looks familiar. She looks familiar. And then I was like, <laughs> Braveheart. Okay, then what else? Oh, right, Spy Game. And then you had a bunch of cameos, but I know the number one I'm going to put in here is because it's somebody's debut film, Butler. Who was that? Uh, it is. The Boy Who Lived Films film uh, debut, <laughs> yes. Daniel Radcliffe. Right. Which I had to go back. Here's the thing. I watch it and I'm like, oh, yeah, Daniel Radcliffe's in this. Oh, interesting. Watch the movie. Tr- credits roll. Oh, Daniel Radcliffe was in this. Wait a minute. Where was he? And then I go oh, back really? to find. I just I couldn't. I don't know what it was. I know he was his son, but I was just like, I couldn't. I couldn't just picture oh, yeah. it. I was just like, as soon oh, as okay, he came on screen, I was like, oh shit, it's Daniel Radcliffe. I didn't even, didn't even recognize him. This came and, out and the like, same year as, uh, well, he gets, as when did it come out? 2001, 2003, 2001. right? 
2001. No. Harry Potter was 2001? Yeah. Sorcerer's Stone. Okay. All right. So, yeah, Daniel Radcliffe plays his son. Uh, you had Mark Margolis, and this is Rafi Domingo, who, if you might notice him, uh, he's from Breaking Bad. He's the guy in the wheelchair, everyone, who likes the, you know, Martin Ferraro as Teddy, who is the lawyer that gets eaten in Jurassic Park. He's the, he's, the, <laughs> he's the jerk off, too, in this film with the glasses. I'm like, who is this guy? Isn't he always? Yes, yeah, it's true. Uh, John Polito is Ramon from from last week's movie, The Freshman. I know I mentioned him last week. Yeah. Dylan Baker as Deuce Baker, I guess, or Deuce Baker from 13 Days and the Amazing Spider-Man. And Trick or Treat. He's awesome. Trick. And Trick or yes. Treat. He's awesome in Trick or Treat. Well, I put Amazing Spider-Man for you. Oh, thanks, bud. Because I know you like those. And Ken Jenkins as, I don't know, Morcombe. I don't know. I know him from Scrubs. Well, what's funny about Ken Jenkins is like he's almost playing the same exact character as he played an executive decision because he's in the beginning of the boardroom with all the generals. I'm like, is this, this <laughs> the same character? Uh, that's that's definitely a reference that if you didn't see those movies, you have no idea what I'm talking about. So I apologize. Uh, you never saw this film. You didn't even know about it. You never heard of it. I, I knew the name Taylor of Panama. I think I knew that it was a book from the okay. uh, Tinker Taylor yep. Soldier Spy Guy. Jean Lecair. Yeah, I didn't even want to try pronouncing his name. I'm guessing. So, <laughs> I, you know, whatever. If I get it wrong, I get it wrong. It's, you know, you miss a thousand shots you don't take. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, he actually wrote some of the screenplay, too. I know he, I didn't put the credit in there, but he did work on the screenplay as well before they kind of, they, I think it was like a mishmash of everyone working on it. You should always um, have, like, if the writer's still alive and he's okay yeah, with you making some, a movie out of it, it's well, always better to have too. him try. Some writers can't switch switch that kind of format plus oh sure you, plus well, you I mean, at book. least help uh, help on it not sure. like necessarily take it over take it over and do the whole thing yeah 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 because you're gonna yeah. write, they're probably gonna write an 800 page script for you right so um i don't want to be like what'd you think but i want to i, I kind of <laughs> guess uh what's something that stood out negative or positive i guess let's start there it's it's not a spy movie it's a crime movie it's a con man movie that just happens to involve conning spies which i liked about it it was a little it's a different twist on your average spy film it's a, it's got a little bit of comedy in there too it's not really yeah it's, super it's all, serious yeah it's not a comedy it's, well, it's not got comedic moments funny but yeah it's it's very it's not it's got a quite a few yeah light-hearted moments in it a, a lot of moments of like brevity and silliness even though it is kind of serious Though at the end, it, it does border on like Dr. Strangelove ridiculousness in terms of how they deal, how they treat Americans. Mm -hmm. I mean, probably fairly, but I'm just. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I was going to say, it's like, yeah. <laughs> totally see it happening. It's just like <laughs> definitely on the level of Dr. Strangelove comedy when they get into the boardroom scenes. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, so it was nice. It was a, it, as, as it got further and further at first, it's like. I thought it was just a straight up spy movie. It's like, this is kind of slow. The stakes are very low. But once it became more about the con, mm -hmm. I was like, all right, so this is a con movie. All right. All right. Well, one of my notes here is I, uh, I didn't, um, I didn't know when Osnard knew that Harry was lying to him. So for, for just to kind of give a little background, uh, you know, Osnard comes in and he, he knows Harry's a criminal in England. He left, he came over to Panama and made this, created this whole new life for him. Uh, right. Pretended that he was a tailor and that he was the very finest tailor and trained by the very finest tailors. In, yeah. Well, he is, a he is a tailor. He was just trained in prison, but he pretends right, right. he was. No, 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 I know. But yeah. he's, I'm saying, yeah, he can do the job, but he's saying where he came from is different. Right. Uh, and then, but Osnard's going to use him to kind of get information so that he can get, because he's basically to show his bosses he's doing what he's doing. Plus also he wants to make some money on the side. He wants to have a big score and leave the spy game. Um, right. That That's his goal. And it, Harry starts lying about making up stuff about how the CSAN opposition is, you know, is here and they're going to take over and uh, that, you know, they don't like, uh, cause this deals with, no, this is post Noriega uh, for people that don't know your history. Um, I mean, I don't really want to go through it, but it's just, he, he was a bad dude who we put in charge and then we decided he's going too far. And so then, uh, you know what I mean? Like that's pretty yeah. much what happened. We blew him uh, up and then replaced him. Right. Uh, well, it's like, he doesn't want to create the lie. Harry just kind he of does to get to him off his back because there's no news. It's like you're the right. tailor. So, you know, things and it's like, you don't know enough, but Harry needs the money because he made a bad investment. 
Well, he got he got swindled. He got swindled uh, he got, for yeah. a farm that didn't exist. Yeah, which exactly, uh, which they kind of touch upon, which you never go back to. But my whole point of all that explanation is that uh, my question to you is: I don't know when Her- Osnard figured out Harry was lying. Uh, I think, he, like, uh, I don't know what moment in the film. I don't know if he knew it all the time, but it was just I think kind of like out in the open as is, and here we go. I think his information is good enough, but I think he's a little incredulous at the the Chinese are interested in buying the Panama Canal. You think it that's seems like his excitement just kind of becomes his excitement just kind of becomes ridiculous of like, oh, this could be good. This could be good. Tell me more. And it's just information to impress the bosses. And then obviously the out and out lie comes from when he's like, uh, the silent opposition is buying weapons for $10 million. And I think that's when Osnard goes. $10 million. Now you said what I wanted to hear. True or false, I think he always just wanted to hear a number that could be corroborated with somebody else if need be. I don't know. I don't I don't know if... See, that's the thing. I, I, I was a little confused as to when he knew this whole thing was not real. Mm-hmm. If he ever did. If he's just pushing Harry just to... If he's initially pushing Harry to give him information... And then Harry just starts lying, just starts saying things, and he's he's willfully buying it about the sign ups. He doesn't care if it's real or not. So right. maybe that's it. But then, I think so. Why? See, then, you get the then, classic con man scene at the end where he's got the briefcases, he's on the thing, he wins. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like that classic, like it was all my plan all along. Well, that and that's the other thing too about the ending. My 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 note to myself or to for the viewing notes that I usually take is uh, I feel uh, like, like I'm a pretty, I like to think that I'm an intelligent person, but I felt stupid at the end because I had no idea what was going on. Not like towards like throughout the whole third act. I was like, I don't get what's happening here. Things just go get an emotion that don't make, they just go into motion mm-hmm. in like a ridiculous kind of way. And it is tough to keep track, but I mean, I thought it was stupid how they, were able to stop the 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 U.S. invasion. They were able to call it off. They just like once it was on, it should have just been on. Obviously, then well, you're making like radio an alternate silent. Earth, but yeah, they would go radio silent once they start the invasion. That's the thing: the president's not listening to anybody. You're not being going to be able to call the president and tell him, "Hey, stop!" No, I promise, we're all right. Yeah, it's like no, this is uh, already. Of course, you're going to say that we're going to we're bombing you. They say that Luisa's relationship with the president or who, her boss is tight. They say that that she's well respected, but I don't ever see it until no, you like, don't meet her boss until she, she right. gets into his house. And if she's somebody who's, um, no, you do meet him on there when they're walking into the into the where she works. She has that quick conversation. Oh, with that's him true. And, too, yeah, but, but still, uh, I don't. Like she is set up to be somebody who's very important in Panama. Yes. How is she so oblivious to Harry's life, to Harry's lifestyle, the people that he is with, the what he does at night, the fact that Harry was caught up with Mickey and Marta when the um, dingbats, uh, you know, who were the Noriega crew, is going around beating the opposition up, destroy, you know, the rebels and the resistance. How does she not know any of that? It seems like she just doesn't know. Oh, I don't think she doesn't know about that. Give me one. Then tell me in the movie where she's kind of. Because she I, just assumes he's cheating on her. But yeah, but that's it's not it. that. But Harry's going out late at night clubbing. It's it's like I don't think like the meetups in the tailor shop are that late. I think those meetups occur like five, six o'clock after after they close for like an hour or two and they go back home. But this is him staying out until like three or four a.m. This is different than normal. But it's not like she doesn't know the past that Mickey was his first customer, all that. I think she knows that, like he says in his flashbacks with uh, Uncle Benny, it's like, be sincere. The truth can get you hurt, but sincerity always works. So I think it's not that she doesn't know about that. It's just at this point in time, it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. I mean, the opposition was opposing Noriega. She now works for someone who works for democracy and the president. It's like the kind of thing that the opposition was for. Now, yeah, Mickey is very critical of that still, but it doesn't mean he was against it. He's also a drunk who, you know, obviously went through some terrible times. Yeah, yeah, got tortured in prison. Yeah, so he's he's obviously somebody who's hurting. I I don't know. I just uh, I thought that that was for me wasn't fleshed out enough. I didn't I didn't catch it. 
I, I, you know, I just thought that she seemed the fact that, cause why that question comes up when he comes home and she's just sitting at the kitchen table. I, uh, the di- that I don't and, buy. Well, that's the thing. I don't understand. End, like, first of all, so he lied to you his entire life about who he was, not just mm-hmm. about the opposition that he was a criminal, mm-hmm. which fine. He wasn't a criminal for anything terrible, like insurance fraud or whatever, whatever. Well, like well, lied, that, that's still lied her entire life about that mm-hmm. and almost caused an invasion that like they were bombing buildings. They certainly killed people. Harry is involved, did some terrible stuff. And at the end, she's just like, just go make those pancakes. Those must be some good freaking pancakes. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, like, I think like the, the fear that Harry had was about losing his family, not potential, uh, you know, legal troubles, which I mean, she's going to have to explain how she knows this information when she goes and talks to her bosses. Oh, yeah, for sure. Right. Like, uh, everything's not all hunky-dory like they pretended is at the end. Right, right. There's no way this doesn't lead back to Harry and her. Yeah, I. so that's that's something that's uh, not really addressed, and it's something that, you know, really just is it's still a question to this day. <laughs> um and and that's more that's more along the plot the plot points and stuff like that. I will say that I think that Brosnan uh, and Rush have awesome chemistry. I thought that their scenes together were were really good. Oh yeah, they did really well together. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's I, also I mean, that's you, just see, a, you see Bros. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I was just gonna say that was just a testament to the two actors. But go ahead. Oh yeah, you see Brosnan in a different light than you see in James Bond, especially like after you've seen like. This afterworld is not enough. So this is three Bond movies under his belt. He mm-hmm. hasn't probably done. He's done stuff here and there um, after GoldenEye, but mostly just Bond. Mm-hmm. So you really get to see, even though he's a spy who works for MI6, he opens in MI6. He's a completely different kind he's of corrupt person. Yeah. He's corrupt. He's a douche. Uh, his mannerisms different. The way he carries his body language is completely different. Like you would almost forget, even though he's playing a British spy who's always wearing suits, his mannerisms and the way he talks, it just completely forget that he's James Bond in this, which is great. Mm-hmm. He uh, he also, this is the first time he's fully nude in a film. So just First time you see his butt on camera. And then uh, he has very angry sex. Very like I, just I, rough. That's one of my notes. Is that some that's some hard thrust in there? She is not like, enjoying this. Like what note? Like what note does Borman give him here? Stab like, her. It's it's stab like, her yeah. with that it's, dick. Stab her. It's like at some point I'd <laughs> be like, dude, this can't be good for you. Calm down. No, there's no way this enjoy. Like, are you relaxed? Are you enjoying this position? Yeah, it's it doesn't it doesn't seem like he's enjoying anything. <laughs> it seems like it's like really a str- like struggling. Like like it's like what's happening? Are you like getting shot or something? Are you getting stabbed while you do this? Like stop. <laughs> 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 I thought that yeah. sex scene was very, very odd. It, the, the, both he's had a he had a couple where he was like that. Um, uh, I, I quote I have a quote from Brosnan that he said the lure for doing this film was John Borman. It was just he just wanted to work with him, right? And that he's uh, he talked about how he's loose. Uh, the character Osnard is loose and baggy compared to Bond. Mm-hmm. That he's on the point of retiring from the field. He's disillusioned. He wants to make one last hit, and then he's out of the game. He's a womanizer. He's cynical and he's manipulative. I mean, you know, Bond those last those three two. are, yeah, those last three are Bond I was as well. Say, those are Bond as well, but yep. they're like, you know, he's, he's, but he's the cool kind of womanizer <laughs> and cynicism. Yeah. But no, yeah. Well, he doesn't go around so, slapping women all the time and like half raping <laughs> them, like with uh, Jamie well, Lee Curtis's character. What? When she, oh, when she smacks Rush? Or at the end when Louise goes to like confront Osnard oh, and he's like, right, right. Super like, what well, he he's super flirting with her hard uh every oh, yeah. scene it, it's like I, I didn't get that like i was like no i i mean i shouldn't say that I, it's not that i didn't get it i just was like that's awfully brazen like you don't even care if her husband's gonna come back when they go off and you're on the island alone during his birthday party celebration that's what got him fired yeah or that's, that's what got him transferred right. yeah they're almost fired you're right but also right. that's also very similar to another character in tinker taylor soldier spy um, with Colin Firth's character. True. Just You're brazenly true. cheating on someone like right in front of him. Just think you can do whatever you want to do. I got you. No, right. that, that makes sense. That's a good point. Although for Firth's character, it was a way to take, uh, 
Take him down a peg. Take him down. Like, yeah, confuse Olden's character, make him yes. not on the top of his game. Could be the mm-hmm. same with Rush, like to be that openly flirty with his wife. Keeps Rush on his toes and shows like, I'm the boss. Look what I can do. If I can get your Maybe wife, I can if- get anything. Yeah. That, that's true too. That's true too. I, uh, that scene too, that reminds me when they're in the, that lake in that scene, there's actually two dudes on outside the camera spotting for alligators while they're shooting that. Oh, like, I don't know how to. you keep that focus. <laughs> <laughs> hey, cut guys. We got some gators coming our way. So grab them. Grab them now. Grab them. Oh, oh, it's too late. We got a guy on Brosnan. <laughs> we need to do James Bond. This was the first scene we shot, right? Because we got to redo all of those scenes. <laughs> The other note, one of the other notes from this is that Jeffrey Rush doesn't know how to drive a car. So the, that. Se- the scenes that he's driving, it's either the car's either being pushed or towed, or it's a double of Rush driving, or they're just using background plates. It's like, my man, learn how to drive. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't under, I mean, I get like, you grew up in a city, like if he's from London, he grew up in London, but at some point, especially if you're an actor. Well, you, you got to take some driving lessons. You got to be a tailor for this. Yeah, you exactly. Can't learn how to drive? Yeah. I'd maybe go to driving school first. Which I love the op- I actually like the opening when he's chalking and cutting the the fabric and you see him making the suit. Right. But I kind of didn't want them I kind of wanted them to to not speed it up. I just wanted to see it. I would have been, you know what I mean, just it was the fact that he was doing it fast. And I get I I understand why cuz you want to get all the credits in. Yeah. But I was like okay with don't speed it up. <laughs> just let it let the man work i'm fine watching did you watch the mark rylance movie the outfit that just came no, out last year not yet no his character i think after watching this movie is a amped up version of jeffrey rush's character in this film amped up in terms of being a being just, a tailor the outfit is a little bit more bad t- times at the el royale like real life adjacent Okay. Uh, so that's what that's where the amped up this comes, but very similar backgrounds. Like, pretends to be the Savile Row guy who's actually an ex ex con who reveals it at the end as keeping secrets is all about the gentlemanly way, though, is all about trying to put that behind him. Really believes Sounds in like his suits. It's a hundred percent this character. Just take that character, put him in an amped up kind of movie. Mm-hmm. It's like you ever see Taylor Panable? Oh, we're gonna take that character and put you in a in a mob boss kind of setting. The outfit's good. It's not as not as good as I was hoping it would be. Okay. Watching this movie, I was like, "Holy crap! That's that's a hundred percent this character in a different movie." Okay, interesting. I'll have to put on the list. <laughs> it's. I think you'll enjoy it. It's not perfect, but it's definitely a, uh, worth a watch. It's something that if I saw cable and it was on TV, I'd be like, "All right." Were you a fan of the quick cut flashbacks? No. Not the stuff with his not the stuff with him talking to his former, I guess, partner, boss, uh, Harold Pinter's character, Benny, Uncle Benny. Oh, Uncle but, Benny, yeah. Uh, that stuff I, I I was okay with that. I mean, I kinda wish they kind of carried it through the whole through the rest of the movie. Yeah, there weren't like, enough moments with them, but they did it right. they introduced it early enough that I was okay with it. But what I, I mean the quick cut flashbacks to the past stuff. Yes, stuff no, that I did not like past. that. It's just like, why? I don't need this. And it mm-hmm. happens so seldom and it's so choppy. Mm-hmm. Uh, like if they introduced an entire scene. If it was, yeah, like, if it was a story that he was telling and you were, we were seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. Because I like, uh, what signs does that very well mm-hmm. where his wife, with his wife pinned to the car, you get those flashes of this thing and, the, but then you get the full scene unfold. Mm hmm. If they did so it that, pays it off. Yeah, yeah. The payoff. There's no payoff to the flashbacks. Well, and it's like the scene in Nope. Because I know you hate which, that scene in Nope, but they keep showing parts. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, but the, then they do the yes. payoff. Then you know what happens. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't flash a scene and not have the payoff, but yet you're also describing it verbatim to me while your characters are talking. Yeah, like that's an example where show don't tell doesn't work if you're telling me at the same time you're showing me. This just is do, also just do one or the other. This goes back to your screenplays co-written by the author of the book. You know, that's, yeah, that is a very you know novelty I mean? thing to yeah, yeah. So I, but I don't need to see it. I can see the scars on Marta, the physical mm-hmm. scars on Marta, and I can see the mental scars on Mickey. Mm-hmm. Which let's talk about Mickey for a second. <laughs> okay, I'm not trying to be like 
woke. But like you are. he he's not Panamanian, nor does like he he's Irish. He comes across as Irish. His accent is terrible and also goes into his brogue often. Uh, okay, I didn't catch got, that. But you're the accent guy, so yeah. Yeah. It's just bad. It's a bad accent. He does a bad accent. He dyes mm-hmm. his hair, his beard brown, and he has brown contact lenses. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm, I didn't, and his name's Mickey, which is really confusing because when he started with his bad drunken accent, I was like, wait, is he also a, a non-native or is he a native? Was he a, a government person that helped stop Noriega? I could not understand his character at first until they spelt it out for me like two scenes later. Mm-hmm. I just... And I love Bre- Brendan Gleeson. When I saw he was on the cast, I was like, oh, yeah. Then I'm watching this going, oh, ugh, buddy. <laughs> Even in 2001, I'd be like, I, I, I don't not like it because he's not playing. He's playing a Panamanian. Panamanian. Mm-hmm. It's just that he's not playing it well. Uh, I didn't yeah, think I mean, it was well done. It's not egregious as other, um, you know, actors playing different ethnicities i think i think there's other more egregious uh you know ways that's been done it would right. be done today probably not um no i mean uh, that's, I just, it is what it is it's just it happened let's not forget it you know uh, it's not let's not pretend it never happened it happened let's move on it just took um, me way out of the film because i just don't think he did it it's not like the insensitivity of it it's the you don't think he did a good job. It's just a poor performance of it. Yeah. yeah. I never catch the accents like you do. I just kind of just watch it and I never get caught. I mean, I heard him a couple of times with the, with kind of like the Panamanian afflicted Panamanian afflict, uh, inflected, inflected, afflicted, affected accent, affected accent. Yeah. Yeah. Affected English accent. Like kind of like when, um, was it K-19 Widowmaker or Harrison Ford was doing the Russian? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, like, well, like, let me ask you, like, see, here's the thing. Like, why is that? Oh, you know, I don't go down this road, but why is that? Okay. Why is Harrison Ford? Okay. Doing a Russian infl- uh, affected accent, uh, English accent. Is it just because Russians are white and he's white? So it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, anyways, <laughs> I, 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 whatever. I don't, I just didn't think it was well done. fine. That's, yeah, that's fine. I'm not and saying it like an inappropriate kind of way. I'm just saying. I, I, my note, my like note is that yeah. that'll, that'll never happen again. So it's not, you'll never see that again. You'll never see uh, a Scottish actor doing that. So, okay, fine. Yeah. But, you know, I wasn't like up in arms watching no, this film going, oh, my, come on. That's what well, that's my thing. It's like my, my note isn't, oh, that's inappropriate. Mine is just like, you couldn't do better. Like mm-hmm. that's just like, come on. Mm-hmm. You're, you're clearly just like you promised him a role and you're putting him in the Panamanian role. <laughs> I don't know why. Like you on, promised yeah. him a role. Well, I, I, remember, it's just like, well, Borman's Irish and all the interiors were shot in Ireland and all the exteriors were yeah. shot in Pan- Panama. So, all everything that's inside is them at home. So it's it's you know it's um, Brosnan because you know, Brosnan's from that area. You know, he's Irish from I the believe, area. Yeah. Yeah, so Rush is even the first, he's from Australia, but, you know, so they're all just chilling out, you know, in, in Ireland doing this. Um, so at Ardmore Studios, I believe. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, there's that too. Maybe that's why he hired him because he's, Maybe. he's local. <laughs> I got a discount, he's local. <laughs> it just kind of took me out of it a little bit. I got um, you. By a little bit, I, I mean a lot of it. You mean, <laughs> you, you, but, but I see, I didn't catch the bad accent. I heard it. Like I heard the, the, the Panamanian effect stuff, but nothing else. I didn't hear, uh, I didn't hear him go into his brogue stuff. Like you said, as his brogue comes out pretty good when he's his first scene, when he's uh, drunk, which is what okay. not only like, I'm like, Hmm, but I'm just like, now I'm confused as to what, who his character is. Cause mm-hmm. he's also clearly does not look Panamanian. We also don't get a lot of the whole Marta, Mickey, uh, Harry stuff. Uh, we just get that one scene where she's beaten up and he and Mickey's beaten up and they hold Harry at the door, uh, at the right. car door while he has to watch it. But I don't get any kind of sense of what they were all like together before all this. Well, I think Mar- he knew Marta from Mickey. And the only reason he knew Mickey was because Mickey was the first customer and became his first friend maybe when he went to Panama. So you're we're saying that this shop was opened during Noriega's time. Yes. Okay. Obviously, because they explain Harry's been open for a number of years. Mm-hmm. 
he was open and then he met Louisa and then he obviously had his kids Mm -hmm. who are about, you know, eight or nine. But Marta is somebody who's like his, his best friend, like his sister. Basically. Yeah. But she was in love with Mickey or no? No, I think she was in love with his ideals. Okay. Like from what you get with Mickey, like, and it's very unclear. Like, it's just like he was part of the opposition back in Noriega's day. Mm-hmm. And everyone believed in him, but his time at the police when they uh, tortured him and stuff kind of messed him up. Yeah. Yeah. I just, like I said, I, it, maybe that, uh, maybe that led to the confusion for me towards the end of the film, just understanding their, their, their past history where Louisa fits in. I, I just feel like I'm, I'm, I miss some stuff. Um, well, he builds, he builds Mickey up as an important person at the very beginning because he's got yeah. nothing. Mm-hmm. So the fact that Oz Osnard is not impressed by Mickey when he's like thought maybe he would be like, right. Hey, that guy was big back in Noriega's day. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm only interested about the future, but Harry doesn't know anything about the future. So it's like, Oh, well, you know, don't, don't you uh, underestimate Mickey. He's, he's still got stuff going on. He's still good. He's still big time. When <laughs> Harry knows that he's just a, a broken man. Who's a, a drunk who's in in debt twenty thousand dollars so i think that's where his lie starts there's an alternate ending ending to this film yeah so originally harry was supposed to kill osnard at the end of the movie that's what i thought was gonna happen yeah but um (laughs) i guess he just thought it would cast a pall over harry's character like it wouldn't be something harry would do and it's more realistic if osnard gets away so but they shot it and it's on the DVD extra, so I'm sure it's on YouTube. Interesting. I yeah. think that that's correct, that it's not something Harry would do. But if you want Harry to have some kind of redemption, that, which they do at the end, Harry needs to have shot Osnard. Because you they can't have that happy ending yeah. for Harry to not have him have sacrificed something of his own. He gets everything. He needs to lose something. He needs to become a murderer. He needs to have bled or make bleed somebody to atone for what he did. They also set up Harry to be somebody who's doesn't have a backbone, doesn't fight. Um, even with the flashbacks, he doesn't get beat up because he doesn't fight. He doesn't. You well, know he's also I mean? not he, Panamanian. So that's also probably why they're just like, hold back. Uh, you're not going to get beat because you're not one of the two um, opposition. That's guys. true. That's true. But they also just say he never gets involved almost. So it's almost like he has to, he doesn't ever get his hands dirty. Um, Which is probably why everybody chills at his tailor shop. Right. True. But, but even that one guy that, uh, that's played by, uh, Teddy. Yeah. He's like, like, he's got it out for him. And it's like, he needs to step, he needs to like, I don't know what to that guy. Just beat the crap out of him or something. Well, yeah, I think Teddy's got power because a, he's on the payroll of, of, uh, I don't even know who the hell he is on the payroll of. To exactly. be honest, they just say he's, he's on. He's on the he's payroll a, he of somebody. He writes for the newspaper. He, he writes for the yeah. newspaper. He's still a I journalist. I don't get his power. I don't get why he's so emboldened to just be a dick. Me neither. Because you don't get it because till the end, and it's like a throwaway line. Well, here's the thing. Because I like Jeffrey Rush, but in this movie, he talks very fast and <laughs> and very breathless. Yeah, and, he whispered. My one of my notes is he whispers almost every line, and. And by the problem with that is that I miss things. And I was like, I, I don't know what he's saying. I don't know what he's talking about. And I wasn't going to go back because it's late, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but like, I liked, uh, I, I liked the style that he was doing. I just, it wasn't really conducive to me learning a lot of, in the movie from him in terms of just information, knowing right. when he's, when they go into that, that big, uh, when they go into that nightclub or the bar, and he's telling Osnard all these people are, I'm like, I got half of that. I got, you know what I mean? I oh, just didn't. Agreed. Yeah. The beginning yeah. is very like a, that whole first night with Osnard is a very much like a, a flash. It goes by so quick. Yeah. The same I with mean, their conversation, I, even where he ends up like pretty much admitting he's a spy. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like a very like weird roundabout way of doing it. That's also very rushed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't believe, I don't believe a word with it. You cunt and you just like go off and just, wait, where'd this come from? What's going on now? It's just like, <laughs> all of a sudden we're having a different conversation. It goes by so fast. It's just like, oh, all right. 
Mm-hmm. Do you think that um, the Car- Luis's character, Jamie Lee Curtis's character, do you think that it's out of place? That do you think the movie could have been okay without it, without uh, the wife and kids? Like, I'm just curious. No, I think you need Harry to have. Harry has an innocent life. Harry, again, Harry went to jail for something and was imprisoned, but it wasn't a terrible crime. I mean, yes, it's arson and it could have done tons of damage or whatever, but in the world of movies and especially movies of this type, his crime is very small, which he did his time for, was released, now is a wife and kid, lives as a tailor. But that gives him an innocence that you need. That wife and kids is like, He's a family man. He loves his wife. He's never cheated on her. Uh, he's, he's not honest, but he's sincere, which the movie likes to, you know, play oh, with. Yeah. Sin- sincerity, sincerity is a virtue, but truth is an affliction. I like truth is an affliction. Yeah. Uh, so I think you need the wife and kids to give Harry something to fight for other than just a tailor shop. Mm-hmm. He's got actually something on the line that isn't oh, just that- money. You could do stuff, sense of self. I mean, you could substitute the family stuff for just a sense of his own purpose and his own self. But I hear what you're saying. I'm just, I'm just asking yeah. uh, about Louisa. I just like the family angle. I think what I also like about Louisa is she's not, which I mean, you, you, Jamie Lee Curtis probably wouldn't have taken the role if she was a moron, but she's not unaware that stuff's going on. She's very bright. <sighs> she's not like, that she's willfully ignorant, you think? Like that she just kind of lets Harry do what he needs to do. I think once things get suspicious, he's like, "Well, invite Osnard over. Let's let's bring Andy to to the birthday thing. Let's let me talk to him." So she knows right off the bat something's off. She doesn't want to believe that Harry went through her things, and that's the only thing where she's kind of ignorant. It's like he wouldn't go through my stuff, though. That's one place he wouldn't do stuff. But- I, but I will say this too. Uh, I, I don't know if she would be so quick to think that Harry would cheat on her with Marta because the, their relationship is so Marta and Harry's relationship is so not intense, but it's, a, it's, it's, it's not like they hide it. She cares for him. She wants him to do well. He cares right. for her. She, you know, she's scarred and he, he feel, he's trying to, he feels for her. I don't know if Louisa would be just so quick to be like, oh, Marta, I can't believe it under my nose. Like, yeah, that conversation would have already had, you, would, you wouldn't have gotten with Harry if you didn't understand the relationship he had with Marta. And he right. would have already talked about that with you. There is that so one I scene think, where they almost kissed though. I don't think they were going to kiss. I think he was just... I, see, that's the thing too. That felt that felt like. Let's put that in there it, to confuse the viewer, or to oh, kind for, of like just hint at it. And I absolutely, I don't, I don't like that. If it's if you're just doing it for the sake of the scene, if that's supposed to be a payoff later in the film, in terms of not in terms of Louisa thinking they got together, but in terms of just Marta and Harry personally mm-hmm. addressing that. Sure. Okay, fine. But you don't. You just throw it in there to just kind of have us be like, oh, whoa, what? What's going on? Agreed. That's the thing. Like, I, I just go back to my note when I was just like, I was very confused a lot of times, <laughs> at the, mainly at the end, but just a lot of time in this film. And I know I've openly admitted on this podcast when we talk about spy films that I get confused because I don't know what to believe. I don't know what I, I feel like when I watch a spy film. I'm just being lied to for, uh, you know, 124 minutes or something like that. And then in the end, when they wrap everything up, I'm just like, okay, so that was, that's the truth. Like I just, that's what I feel like all the time. I love spy films. Like they're like some of my favorite genre, but they are because of the job of a spy. They are very similar to con man films. So a lot of the times you get those contrivances that you would never have known. You can't know. You can't explain because it reveals too much. So you're going to get exactly what one of the characters gets. And that's like all of a sudden, oh, wait, oh, that's what. Okay. Well, at least the con films, you are you're getting behind the scenes glimpse of what the actual plan is. And sure, there's always a twist. Um, But and a good con film is you like you root for the con. You root for the twist in the end. You root for all that because you like the character that you've well, been following. This is Casablanca pro- without the heroes field. <laughs> <laughs> well, the just to use your kind of reference to the con film, like a spy film films like feels like I'm on the outside of the con. 
And I don't see, I'm not getting any of the inner workings and I'm just like the rube who's just being told this story and I don't know what to believe. I think it depends on the spy film. I didn't feel well, that way during it Tinker Taylor. It depends on the, the quality of the film. No, no, right. no, I hear you. It depends on with if the film is, is done well. Maybe with this film, while I enjoy a lot of it and there's, there's things that I, you know, can, you know, I, I, I give like, you know, a thumbs up to, mm-hmm. I think overall, I just, I'm left with a sense of confusion too many, too many times to ignore. Yeah. It's also a combination of con man and spy film, which is like mm-hmm. throws even more contrivances and twists your way. And that's fine. I mean, I, I get it. It's just maybe, maybe that's just preference on my part, but I will tell you what's unacceptable <laughs> is comic sans font. In your titles. <laughs> I thought the same thing when it popped up. I was like, wait, what? I was like, what am I watching? A romantic comedy? What is this nonsense? <laughs> Comic Sans? <laughs> I was like, wait, what what year was this movie? Made? I was waiting for yeah, I was like, do 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 do. I'm like, oh, this is just no, this isn't the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I did like at the beginning though that the movie kind of just starts. Mm-hmm. Like you don't get because I'd read the summary about Osnard is a disgraced uh, spy who gets sent to Panama. So I was like, all right, so I'm going to get the scene where he's caught cheating and then they gets got, then it gets diff- reprimanded and then he gets sent. But no, the movie starts off with, we're sending you to Panama. <laughs> and I was like, oh, all right, we're going to Panama already at the beginning. I love it. I love it. Let's, <laughs> let's get the movie going. Uh, do you think it's a big difference that they changed the timing of the film where the book takes place, uh, right before the handover of the canal to the Panama to the to the Panamanians from the mm-hmm. US to Panama uh the movie is set after the handover do you think that makes a difference i think it makes the US immediately retaliating more ridiculous like they're looking which, for a reason to get to get the the canal back they're just looking to attack for like cuz they're just we lost we lost i retreated i'll never retreat again like it's just Oh, that Dylan Baker stuff, you crazy eyes. Yeah, that was. Oh my God. His, it's the only time I've retreated. (laughs) Yeah. He has one line in there, which I was like, oh, there's a missing star in our flag, gentlemen. Looks to me that God has given us a second chance here. I was like, this is awesome. And I was like, this is straight out of Dr. Strange Love. It's so (laughs) stupid. And I love (laughs) how, how much, how much are they getting for the, how much are they getting for the arms? How much are they paying? 10 million. We need 15 million, sir. And then he goes to his bosses. He goes to the Americans. How much? Nothing you don't keep under your plate already. How much? Twenty million. All right. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like it's like Osner immediately knew that the ten million would just be snowballed into twenty. It's like he was already well, he expecting also, that. He also said, "I I said twenty, and they went down to fifteen. So you got the sense the other guy was actually legit. Oh unless yeah, he's true, lying. Yeah. And again, unless he's lying to me, I don't know. <laughs> I just love so how it snowballs. You- yeah. So why do you think maybe this film didn't do so well? Like maybe why do you think this is a forgotten film? Uh, why are we saying that? Because you know, of my confusion. A <laughs> the confusion and you had listed a couple films that had come out and I we're like uh, fifteen minutes what, away from it. What what came out around it? Just tell me again. Uh, I'm sorry. Well it came out the same week as Spy Kids. That's the big one. The week after you had Along Came a Spider and Blow and Just Visiting. Right. Uh the week before you had Heartbreakers. I mean it's March. Yeah. Heartbreakers wasn't huge. I like Heartbreakers. Mm-hmm. Um, but Blow and Along Came a Spider are pretty big. Uh, yeah. Along Came a Spider, I feel, is pulling similar audiences and Blow actually as well. So like an adult movie, mm-hmm. uh, like a crime movie. So I feel like that's going to pull your audience as well. Uh, and I feel like Blow was marketed, uh, pretty heavily marketed back then. Same with Along Came a Spider. So I'll there go, were a lot I'll of ads go, back then. Let me go a couple of weeks before you mm-hmm. had a, uh, so before the 23rd, you had a limited release of Memento and then you had Enemy at the Gates was a wide release. That was big. Yep. The ninth, you had 15 minutes. Uh, that's with Ed Burns and De Niro. Uh, you had, um, let's see, the, the second of March, you had the Mexican, this is with Brad Pitt. So, I mean, you've, you've got a series of films that are coming out that are very similar, as you say. Yeah. They're all kind of oh, like yeah. adult crime actiony yeah drama so yeah maybe maybe you're maybe you're, we're looking at star power here yeah it gets you know, mixed jeffrey, up yeah jeffrey rush is not barbosa yet he's yeah, not but he's not although quills he's, has already come out and quills is but jeffrey big. rush is not jeffrey rush is not somebody that i would like i know he's, he's not barbosa, but he's, 
Yeah, nobody's watching Pirates of the Caribbean because Jeffrey Rush is Barbosa. They're watching it because Johnny Depp's in it. Yeah, true as well. And it's an action. And it's a the, the first one was really good. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Pierce Brosnan's also on not James Bond, James Bond, which might be off putting. Yeah, maybe. As, as I think it's awesome to see him playing within his career, within the James Bond career, playing such a douchey James Bond. Those are the two but, main draws. Jamie Lee Curtis is is obviously a draw, but not probably at this time. Do you know what I mean? Like she's yeah. not. She's Although, also not in a ton of the movie. She doesn't appear until about 30 she's minutes not, in. But like she's, this is like True Lies is like seven years prior and True Lies is great. And I could understand if this film came out right after True Lies, oh, maybe really it, yeah. it would, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that certainly hurts it. The competition, it's a slow burn kind of a movie. And again, mm-hmm. it's confusing. Yeah, I think uh, I think oh, when it came out and what was around, I think is a big thing. I think I, I think the fact that we just talked about how uh, the two leads maybe aren't bigger pulls and what else is out there, and also I think the the film itself doesn't kind of carry over well because you know, like we talked about, we're confused about stuff. Yeah, if, you know, the the meshing just, of genres, while it's all somewhat enjoyable, also confuses it a bit as well. Yeah, it's just not tight. It's not a tight film, and then I think that carries over. Uh, in terms of like not timelessness, but people like you know suggesting it to other people and stuff like sure. that. So it it kind of just did middling business, and it was it it was it is what it is. It was fine. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it made its money back on home, on home box office and DVD sales. So possibly that wouldn't surprise me in the least. It's no Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. No Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is fantastic. I guess this I is highly- only one of two novels that didn't star Gary Oldman's character. From oh, the, the book Smiley. Yeah. Smiley. Yeah. I yep. didn't know he was in all the other books and was like, oh, let's get a Smiley series going. <laughs> well, I thought there aren't they going to do a sequel? Didn't we talk about that? Oh, you're right. Yep. Well, yeah. well let's, go to, let's get going. I mean, it's not <laughs> Smiley, but like I said, off camera, you should, he, he's basically playing a spy in Slow Horses, so just it's modern. True. Yeah. So check that out. All right. Where can they find us, brother? You can find us at ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com or ForgottenEntertainment.com as we are part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. While you're there, check out all the other great podcasts and videos we got for you. Uh, they're pretty great. And uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast, like, rate, subscribe, all that normal stuff everyone always tells you to do. Do it. And then uh, do it. go to the lobby on Facebook, which is our Facebook group, and uh, let us know what you think of the movie if you've ever seen it. Awesome. So we're going to the 80s next week, Butler. We're going to have some fun next week. We're going to watch the, well, we're going to talk about it. We already watched it. We're going to talk about <laughs> The Last Starfighter. That is our film next week. So hopefully uh, people can... Uh, Watch that beforehand so they can know what we're talking about. I'm sure a lot of people have seen this film. So yeah, you put if you read the, the book Armada <laughs> by Ernest Klein, he took from the last Starfighter. So sorry, Ernest, but you did. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. So um, until then, uh, have a great week, and we'll see you next time. I am Mike Veal. I'm Mike Butler, and this has been Forgotten Cinema.